1: fighting the good fight.
2: My name is Alan DeLeon, and today with me we have a world-famous evangelist. Welcome to the Carter Report.
1: Greater Manila is more than 20 million souls. Almost all these beautiful people are ignorant of the true gospel of Christ. Manila needs Jesus. Thirty-five years ago, John Carter came to Manila. Pastor Carter is returning to Manila with an urgent assignment. Preach the gospel of Christ and the great truths of the Bible. Don't water down the message. Make it plain, make it clear, make it Christ-centered. The Carter Report needs your help now to light a fire in the Philippines. Your gift will help open the doors of bondage, smash the chains of sin, and open the gates of paradise to thousands of lost souls. The churches have sent out an urgent plea for the Carter Report to return. Help us proclaim the true gospel of Christ to the beautiful Filipino people. Please send your support to the address on the screen, visit our website, or call the Carter Report.
2: Welcome back to the Carter Report. Today with me, I have a very special, uh, special guest, a world-famous evangelist, Pastor John Carter. Welcome, Pastor Carter. How are you? I'm doing well, Alan. How I, are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I want to go ahead and just dive right into this thing, and I want to first find out from you
0: what has made you or motivated you to become a minister. Ooh, let me think about this one. Uh, Alan, it, it's, it's, it's a really good question. Uh, when I was a, a young guy of 14, 15, going through a very troubled stage in my life, I, I felt uh, a great conviction that one day I should become a pastor and an evangelist and go and preach the gospel. Uh, it came to me as I was living in a town by the name of Brisbane in Queensland, Australia. And uh, the sense of of that I was called to be uh, a preacher of the gospel Even though at that time, I don't think I even understood the gospel, (laughs) but it was almost an overwhelming call. And as I went through my life and grew a little bit older, the call became clearer and plainer and louder. And how did you distinguish that call? Was it something that was very consistent
2: or was it something that would come and go? What was the difference that made you uh, attracted
0: to that? Well, let me tell you a little story because these thoughts are coming back into my mind now. My mother told me after I had become a minister that when I was a little boy, she took me in her arms and she was not a person who went to church. Mm -hmm. My mother believed in God, but she was not a church goer. And she told me the story that when I was a little boy, maybe two years of age or or less, she took me in her arms and dedicated me to the work of the ministry. This was amazing. Mm -hmm. But she never went to church, and she never talked about these things. And um, so it wasn't as though she was putting these thoughts into my mind. She never told me this until after I had become a pastor. Mm -hmm. But as time went by, when I was 16 or 17, even younger, I felt an irresistible conviction in my heart that God wanted me to be a preacher of the gospel of Christ. So looking back on that moment from the story that your mom told you, mm. uh, do you really
2: feel as though that moment in particular set you on a course to eventually become the evangelist that you are today?
0: Um, Alan, I believe that God calls people for certain uh, tasks or responsibilities or callings. Mm-hmm. This is taught very plainly in the book of Romans where it talks about how God calls certain people. Um, I say this humbly, but I believe that God called me to do a certain work. Uh, The Bible says, one of the prophets said before he was even in the womb, he felt a sense that God had called him. Mm -hmm. I've had this sense for well over 60 years, for 65 years. And and the passion to do this work has never died out.
2: And so drawing in from that passion, I know that you must have immeasurable experiences in the ministry. Uh, what stands out to you as the most memorable from your time spent as a minister? Mm. Uh, Alan,
0: that's a tough one because I've had some amazing experiences.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For instance, when we were in the Solomon Islands, we had a vast crowd of people there. And the night when I spoke on Spiritism, mm-hmm. as I walked out uh, on, on the platform this Vast crowd of people, tens of thousands. I felt a hand on my shoulder. Like a physical hand on your yes, shoulder? I, yes, yes, Okay, um, what, what was that experience
2: uh, like exactly? Did that kind of catch you off guard at well, any Well,
0: I thought it was my old friend, Pastor Harold Harker.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I, I turned around to say, uh, What's going on, Harold? But there was no Harold there. So I felt an actual hand on my shoulder. Uh, that night was going to be, you could almost say, a, a, a dangerous meeting because we were dealing with spiritism mm-hmm. and Satanism. I believe it was the hand of an angel. Now, this may seem far-fetched, but I, I'm just telling you my conviction. Mm-hmm. I've had other experiences, such as when we were in Russia and Ukraine. I can remember on occasions we would have a vast crowd of people, atheists, and communists, unbelievers, and I would be feeling fatigued because I'd been working all day, and I, I was tired. But as I would walk out on the stage, I would actually feel a mantle of power fall upon me. And this was this not just emotion, but I, I would feel that I was clothed with power.
2: Now, was this something that remains consistent throughout all of the evangelistic campaigns? That no, you've no, heard? no, just
0: no, 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 no. This happened on only some occasions. Okay. And when, you... the, when, the, when the meeting was over... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, I was weary. I was I'd been perspiring. The conditions were hot, uh, in big auditoriums with no no air conditioning. Mm-hmm. But I would I would be back to <laughs> back to normal. Mm-hmm. But during the time of my preaching, I felt I felt the the power of God rest upon me uh, in places like Russia and Papua New Guinea and. Other places as well, I have felt the, the tremendous power of God come upon me. I could preach with power. You could, you could see a, a crowd of 150,000 people or more. Nobody moving. Nobody sneezing.
2: <laughs> now, I know that you've traveled to some pretty remote places in the world. Uh, one thing that's pretty interesting that I wanted to ask you about was how specifically do you get these great groups of people to, to
0: show up to these meetings? We do a lot of advertising. Okay, We've no. got to raise the money.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I'm a pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a wealthy person. I'm the same as any other pastor. But surely you have to have some kind of support from some other so, system. So uh, I don't get any support from the church organization.
2: So you're telling me that this is 100% just funded through you and the ministry.
0: Uh, no, no. It's, it's funded through God. I, I trust in God. Now, we have a huge campaign coming on in Manila. Mm-hmm. I've got to find half a million dollars how do you plan to do that um i put it in god's hands and people start sending me money Mm -hmm. we've run campaigns such as the the huge campaign in india which cost us a million dollars that's a staggering now if if you've got to raise a million dollars unless you've got to raise it it doesn't seem a lot of money you can say a million dollars very quickly (laughs) (laughs) you could probably spend it just as quickly too uh no i'm a slow spender (laughs) But the money comes. Mm -hmm. God moves upon the hearts of people. And people will send me money. And people that I've never heard of before. And people I do know, they will send me money. And so I believe it is the work of God. But I have a conviction, Alan, that the most important work in all the world is the preaching of Jesus Christ. And how do you plan
2: to get that message across, let's say specifically for the people in Manila?
0: Uh, We will advertise on television. We will print hundreds of thousands of handbills or color brochures. We'll advertise on radio. Uh, We will put inserts in the newspapers. Unless you tell people, they're not going to know. Mm -hmm. And how far in advance does this process begin to take place? Well, I've got a little team going up there in in a few days' time. My son, David, who does a terrific job, going with... A couple of my friends in Australia, Dr. John Hammond, Dr. Uh, Pastor uh, uh, David Gibbons, uh, he's going. And they're going to go ahead to make sure that things are going in Manila in the right directions. Mm-hmm. This is a very methodical it, process. Yeah, but it's, it, it's a massive job. It's, it's When we tell people what's got to be done, they find it hard to believe. We've, we prepare the television advertising. We prepare the radio advertising, we prepare the handbills, and we've got a little team here at the Carter Report, and they work on this stuff, but we've got lots of other stuff to do too. We do television programs, but we we have a conviction that God wants us to do this work. We believe that Jesus is coming soon, and we believe that the most important work in all the world is the preaching of Christ and the gospel.
2: And what is your understanding of the gospel exactly? The gospel
0: is God's good news. The word gospel means good news. Mm -hmm. It's not advice. The gospel is not primarily about me. Mm -hmm. The gospel is about God. (laughs) It's the good news about God. And is this the message that you take Yes, and yes, you take yeah. out to all of these and, campaigns? And also, I put this in the context of Bible prophecy, but the, the gospel is that Christ died for the ungodly. Before you can understand, Ellen, the good news, you've got to understand the bad news. Mm-hmm. And what's that exactly? And the bad news is that people without Christ are lost. The Bible says this over and over and over again. A lot of people don't like to hear this. But the Bible teaches that men and women without Christ are lost. And how do you see that The Bible play? says dead in their
2: trespasses and sins. How do you see that specifically play out throughout the course, say, of human
0: history? How does that ring true? When Jesus came, he found the people of God had wandered away from, from God and from the Bible. And largely they were a lost group of people. They were lost in their pharisaism and their legalism and their rebellion against God. And the Bible says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. Mm -hmm. So God has always had his preacher. God has always had his evangelist. Uh, Jesus, first and foremost, was a preacher of the gospel. He was an evangelist. Jesus didn't sit behind a desk. (laughs) I mean, it seems uh, incongruous. Mm To think of Jesus sitting behind a desk, Jesus was out there on the streets and in the fields and he was talking to uh, people one by one like the woman at the well and Nicodemus, the spiritual leader of Israel. But he also spoke to vast crowds of people. And I believe that the ministry of Jesus in seeking to save that which was lost is a pattern for us today. Then came the Apostle Paul. Now, you've just done a, you're just finishing an MA in theology at Fuller. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and, and that's tremendously important. But you know that Paul was not an armchair theologian. <laughs> Certainly not, no. Uh, Paul was out there preaching the gospel. He was a great theologian. And so I'm assuming that you're trying to mimic this example with your evangelistic campaigns. I would like to think that my example is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus is my Savior, first and foremost. I'm not saved because I can perfectly imitate Jesus. That would be absurd. Mm -hmm. But, yes, Jesus is my example. He's my Lord. So, out of all of these. And Paul.
2: He's also a good example, yes. And
0: and, um, Martin Luther and John
2: Wesley. So, I know that you mentioned both of these people. Um, How do you feel like their role in history has helped shape the movement of oh, the gospel. Oh, goodness.
0: If Jesus had not come preaching, we'd all be lost, mm-hmm. every one of us. And then there was the Apostle Paul who changed the world. We would not be sitting here today were it not for the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. So these, he, gave us, he gave us the gospel of righteousness through
2: faith. And from these historical figures that you're drawing from, what would you say in a more modern sense are figures that you can look back on that championed the gospel
0: as well. Well certainly John Wesley, Mm -hmm. a Church of England minister, he preached 42,000 sermons, traveled 360,000 miles on the back of a horse. I think you're getting pretty close. Uh, (laughs) Not on the back of a horse. I've done a lot more than 360,000 miles with sitting in a jet plane. Um, England was Absolutely going into a state of of total spiritual apostasy, drunkenness, and every other terrible sin. And John Wesley came preaching the gospel of Christ. He won more than half a million souls to Christ. Uh, tremendous preacher. And there have been great evangelists more in more recent times that have moved the world for Christ. Uh, evangelism will never, never, never die out while there are lost men and women and people anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. So if you say that it's not going to die out, what what
2: do you believe that the church
0: is doing to help promote that work? Well, for a start, they're letting me do it. (laughs) (laughs) So when we go to Manila, the church is going to be supporting me and my team but they won't be paying for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very interesting that one of the leaders up there said to me, we've got ourselves into all sorts of trouble because we stopped doing public evangelism.
2: So do you believe that there's a correlation between evangelism and the success of the gospel message? Yes, yes,
0: yes, 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 yes. My methodology and everything I do is, is based on the scriptures. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter, to 12, Alan. Paul gives the gifts in the church. Most folks have never read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think it's verse 28 to 30. Mm-hmm. He says, first, apostles. And the word apostle refers to a person who was sent forth to preach the gospel of Christ. He says, first, apostles. Then he says, secondly, prophets. And a prophet is a person who expounds the gospel of Christ and who preaches the great truths of the Bible. First, This is First Corinthians chapter 12. Most people who call themselves Christians don't seem to know anything about these words that were taught in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is exactly? Oh, I, I think they've got, uh, you know, in many, many years ago, they used to put blinkers over the eyes of horses. Have you heard about this? <laughs> yes. They put these things here. <laughs> So the horse can't look to the left or the right. So the horse, you know, he's got blinkers. <laughs> so you think Christians are having I think a lot spiritual of, I think blinkers? I think a lot of Christians and... have got blinkers. Why is that? Oh, Alan, these are very difficult questions. I think because of the insanity of the times, because of the brainwashing, because of television. I think television is destroying the minds of people. I think our digital age where people spend most of their time on their cell phones or their iPads and sitting most of the day in front of uh, video screens and playing games, I think it is destroying the minds of the people. I'm not the only poster says this. The New York Times, the liberal New York Times says, we need to have a digital Sabbath. <laughs> so I am somebody who
2: has grown up with that experience yeah, of it's, technology, it's, mm. of using it to my advantage. Uh, do you feel like that is a specifically modern problem? Or how does that
0: relate to people like me, people my age or, or under? Uh, I think we are living in the last days. Mm-hmm. And I believe that things, the Bible says, are going to get worse and worse and culminate in the great time of trouble. There have always been problems to the preaching of the gospel back in the days of John Wesley, it was drunkenness. Uh, Make you drunk, they used to say, drunk for a penny, uh, dead drunk for two pennies. (laughs) And uh, dead drunk, and we'll give you straw for three pennies. Mm -hmm. These were the people in the days of John Wesley. So this was like a terrible drug addiction, which is uh, like the drug addiction that is in America today. It destroys the minds of people. But I think that your generation has got challenges that no generation has ever had before. Well, what are those challenges exactly? What do you believe them to be? Can I be honest? Sure. I think
2: brainwashing.
0: Brainwashing in, in what regard? Uh, that people today are being brainwashed by, by the media, by the social media, whereby they no longer have time. The serious study of the scriptures. Now, you know, I run a uh, program here at the Carter Report. We've got more computers than most people have. uh, So we do this because we do television. Mm -hmm. But I'm not the only person who thinks this. When I referred to the liberal New York Times, I said, people are going crazy they're losing their ability to think. Therefore, we elect politicians on sound bites that can't be more than 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Why? Because lots of folks today can't concentrate for more than 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. I had to go to the dentist two days ago. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> well, 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 you know. I love, I love. I don't want you to relive the experience. It's <laughs> no, okay. no, it's okay. <laughs> I, I was there. I was having my tooth drilled back here because of the... Something had happened to the filling, so I'm, I'm lying back, you know, and I'm saying, give me more stuff to put in there so I'm not <laughs> going to feel anything. So, so I've got the dentist there and the assistant. But in front of me up there, they've got a television screen.
1: <laughs> That's
0: and kind the, of a distraction for you, in essence. Uh, no, no, no. I don't know what was worse. <laughs> Having my tooth drilled or being forced to watch this inane, ridiculous... Stupid television. (laughs) Now, this is here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I think I I thought to myself, it was a a sitcom, some young girls, some young guys. Uh, In the hour that I was suffering in the dentist's chair, (laughs) it was inane, it was stupid, Mm -hmm. Um, brainless. It's very, very hard to preach the truths of the Bible to people like this. And I believe all of this has been brought about by the great adversary, the devil himself, to brainwash people. So I believe that we are living in a time in the history of the world when people are actually suffering mental deterioration. I believe the devil is doing it. Let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. This is a terrible thing I'm going to tell you, Alan. Uh, I hope all my friends are not going to dislike me because of what I'm going to say. (laughs) Well, let's hear it. I preached in Australia. I preached in the Sydney Opera House. I preached in big places and in little places, big audiences and little audiences. I preached in America, in the Shrine Auditorium, huge auditorium, downtown Los Angeles. And then I was called to go and preach to people who were in the Soviet Union, for crying out loud. Mm. How was that? How was that experience? It it was refreshing. Refreshing in what way exactly? Because they had a greater capacity to understand truth. Their minds had not deteriorated as much as people in the Western world. These people had been under the curse of communism. I was always a tremendous enemy of communism. But the television they had, They played classical music and they had orchestras. And when I went to Russia and Ukraine in those, it's not like it today because now they've got our television. Mm -hmm. And since they've got our television, their brains have deteriorated like people here. I could preach to a vast crowd of Russians. It's not like it now, it's like America. And they could listen for an hour and a half and take notes Nobody coughing, nobody moving. When I had an altar call, 10,000 people stampeding down the front. Doctors of philosophy, famous scientists, uh, leaders of the uh, old Soviet Union coming to my meetings, uh, large numbers of the KGB. Their brains had been hurt less than our brains had been hurt by Hollywood. Now I know that a
2: lot of scholars like to promote and push, and I know that this is going to connect into Uh what you're talking about here. Um, But there's the idea and the concept of neo-Darwinism and how that is being an influence in universities and um, upper-level education. Uh, Do you think, in some small way, that this is also, or this also has uh, a part uh, to play, uh,
0: not in a small way, Uh, in a major? major, major way. I have uh, studied this for years and I I think I understand it. Darwinism teaches that, uh, neo-Darwinism teaches that everything came from nothing. That mind came from non-mind. That fine tuning came from randomness. That we all come back to a, a common ancestor in some primordial sea and there's no purpose. Dawkins The greatest atheist in the world says, no creator, no sense to anything. This has permeated society, especially the universities. Every university, particularly the science departments, the departments of philosophy, every American state university, every Australian university, every British university, have all been brainwashed by the doctrine of neo-Darwinism, and the teachings of Nietzsche. So it's made it very difficult. And because it's become so difficult, the church has retreated in many parts of the world like a turtle back into its shell.
2: So you're saying the church isn't doing really anything to combat this?
0: Um, Well, the church is in some places. Yes, the church is in some places. But much of the church today has gone to sleep. And that is why the fastest growing religious movement today in these great United States of America is atheism. Especially among young guys like you, you're a committed Christian. But the fastest movement is atheism. Therefore, we must devise intelligent means to take the gospel to the world. And that's what the Carter Report is dedicated to. I'll
2: make sure I stop you right there because I want you to elaborate that on the next part. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. But uh, thank you so much. And join me soon for the next part with Pastor
1: John Carter. Time. It takes only a minute to have eternal life. How can you get saved in a minute? It's simple. First, believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Second, accept his free gift of eternal life, and then you're saved. It's not hard. It doesn't take any time. You can be saved in a minute right now. Pray with me. Lord God, I realize that I am a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. I accept that your Son, Jesus Christ, died for me. I ask Jesus into my heart. If you prayed this prayer, you are saved. The next thing to do is tell someone, fellowship with other followers of Jesus, get baptized, read your Bible and pray. Choices, we make them every day, all day. The most important choice you will make in your life is whether to choose eternal life or let it pass you by. If you'd like more information about your new life, call the number and visit our website